Play ball. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst. We hope that you're safe and healthy and thank you for listening. Hope this can serve as a respite for you as we all deal with issues related to the coronavirus. Let's get to our guest. We have Matt Olson on our list episode. We stay by the bay. We've talked about defensive excellence on every podcast. This is the first chance that we've had to talk with someone who teaches it. Uh, Kai Correa, bench coach for the San Francisco Giants, youngest bench coach in the majors. Kai and several MLB coaches are doing Zoom conversations with other coaches as part of the Coaches versus COVID team. These are seminars to give youth and scholastic baseball coaches access to the best information and instruction. The money raised goes to the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center which is doing COVID-related research. Kai's not the only coach doing them. Tanner Swanson, the Yankees catching coach, has organized this, as has uh, Cody Atkinson and Donegal Fergus. Uh, he of the Twins are going out all over the place. Uh, Kai, welcome. First of all, tell us where you are, how you're doing, and uh, what you're doing to, to kind of fill the time. Uh, I am in the, I'm just outside of Phoenix, Arizona in Verado. That's where I reside. Um, I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Uh, I, this has got to be the, the biggest drastic swing in wingspan from one guest to the next when you go from Matt Olson <laughs> to me. So yep. a huge decrease in defensive run saves as well. So I am just hanging out, watching video, producing content for our guys, participating in a lot of meetings, um, doing those Zoom calls that you talked about for coaches versus COVID and, and then uh, kind of spending a lot of quality time with my young daughter. So that's what I'm doing to pass the time. All right. So tell us about uh, what you're doing for Coaches versus COVID. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I mentioned the coaches that have started it up. I know you've got clinics going on the weekends of the next couple of weeks. Uh, you've done a couple already with some uh, major league coaches. Uh, tell us what they've been like and uh, what uh, you have gotten out of them and what uh, people on the other side of them have gotten out of them. Yeah, I mean, as like you said earlier, it's an awesome initiative uh, driven by Tanner Swanson uh, to kind of create these volumes and provide these educational opportunities for coaches across the U.S. to share content and, and raise money for Fred Hutch Research. Each session, I'm doing one a week. Uh, each session's 45 minutes to an hour and a half. I'll have a guest. Uh, we'll talk through either some foundational movements or some highlight real plays or some training techniques. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that the college, high school, and professional coaches who've participated in them uh, have gotten some ideas that they can take to their own uh, students and their own players when, they, when they're able to go back outside. Um, for me, personally, it's always great to present and it's always great to share because it forces you to really consolidate your information and, and figure out what hills you want to die on and, and and do your research. And, and, and that's always a fun process for me. I think it equips me well to be able to introduce it to the guys, our guys as well. What's the best or most interesting question that you've gotten asked so far? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, you always will get the random weird one, right? And it's always, you know, like, how long should I let the left-hander play shortstop? You know, or how do you <laughs> teach, how do you teach diving? You know, what's a diving drill? You know, you'll get some obscure stuff like that. Um, but they're always thought, thought provoking, that's for sure. All right. Now, this isn't the only thing that you've done or that people can access of yours that's online. If you go on YouTube, there are a number of things, uh, including three videos that you did that are on the Giants YouTube page uh, where you're doing uh, instruction for players and people can watch. Uh, tell us about those. Yeah, the, the Giants marketing team does an amazing job producing content and they got the idea that they wanted to do like a how to train like a big leaguer series. And so we did a three early morning, uh, 25 minute sessions that they cut up into 10 minute videos and we just do some position specific stuff, go through some primary activities and then build up into some game like reps. And so it was, uh, it was fun to be a part of those videos and really grateful for the Giants producing them. 
Now, I, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things that I, that I saw in those. One was uh, prepare for the worst, adjust to the best. Uh, another was first baseman posture. Uh, you seem to be putting a, a significant amount of emphasis on that. Uh, and then the one-legged little plays. Uh, just kind of give us an overview of the kinds of things that people can see if they watch. Yes. So in terms of prepare for the worst and adjust to the best, it's, it's the idea that um, I, I think about being a good teammate is twofold. So in the clubhouse or off the field, you should think the best of your, of your counterparts. But during gameplay on defense, you're better off if you think the worst of your counterparts. If you expect the worst throw, the worst feed, we'll have the right alignment, the right backup. And from a technical standpoint, uh, Travis Ryman put it best, and I stole it from him with the Indians. He said he looks for two A's when you're at the bag and you're anticipating a throw. It's, it's athleticism and anticipation. That's going to lead to the largest catch radius. And um, that kind of leads right into the posture at, at first base and, and not arriving upright. And you had Matt Olson on, who's one of the best in the game um, at, at, at getting balls out of the dirt. And, and he's talked about when he was a guest on your show, he talks about his transition to third, from third base and how picking was really intuitive. And he just had to learn where to put his feet on the bag. And one of the reasons why I think picking is so intuitive for him is he uses that third base posture. He doesn't have a lifetime of standing at that bag. He has a lifetime of getting down into, into his legs at third base, and he's brought that with him to first base and allows him to adjust and make those great plays. And then finally, uh, the one-legged throws. Um, that's uh, as defensive metrics evolve, um, and, and you guys have been one of kind of the, like the thought leaders in, in, in that evolution, we learn how difficult um, throws can be that are created from new positions and new shifts when – you A, don't have a ton of time to complete a play, or B, have gone a great way to acquire the baseball, more often than not, your footing isn't going to be ideal. That's something that Ahmed talked about on his episode with you, how he finds himself in odd positions. And uh, that, that's what that's trying to replicate. It's trying to give the guys the opportunity to throw out of uncomfortable positions without building too much of a workload. Okay, brief aside, thank you for listening. No problem. <laughs> I want to touch on your, your background a little bit because let's be fair, before you come to the Giants, I think it's fair to say most people don't know who you are. Kai Correa from Hilo, Hawaii. Attended a Division three school, the University of Puget Sound. Got a degree in history. He once called MLB El Dorado, the Golden City. Uh, he coached there for three years and at Northern Colorado for four, then spent two years as short season in Arizona League coach in the Indians organization. And in 2020, now you're the bench coach the uh, infield coach and the base running instructor for this team. First of all, who are your influences that help you get this far? I think there, there's a couple places that, that influence me. So the first component is coaching, right? And so getting as much information as I could on the teachings of guys like Perry Hill and, and, and Brian Butterfield and Ron Washington and Bobby Dickerson, who successfully did it before me in the generation before me in the major league, so at the highest level. The other component of coaching would be the, the collegiate coaches. They're really good instructors at the collegiate level who are taking maybe subpar or rough around the edges defenders and taking, going from bad to good. And so that my instructors to learn from good to great would be the major league infield coaches, and then bad to good would be the college coaches. And so finding the commonalities between and building up progressions. The second major component for me is watching film. You know, um, something that is kind of underdone. Lots of high-level players, if you ask them about their swing, they've watched hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours of their swing. You ask them about their fielding technique, they maybe haven't watched much of it. And, and for me, watching field is a really, really important, important process because it reinforces patterns. What are common? What are uncommon? What are great movement solutions for specific types of plays? What aren't? You know, what's rare? 
and, and should be allowed? What should you leave room for? What should you promote? And so that's what you learn from video. And then the third major component in terms of my influence is trial and error, following the fruit. You know, whether it's with a youth player or a major leaguer in the offseason or a collegiate athlete, um, if you have a high volume of work and you're always reevaluating how it went from their standpoint and from actual production, then you're going to continue to sharpen the sword. And so those are kind of the three primary influences uh, for me. You also come from a, a coaching family uh, that in Hawaii is extraordinarily well regarded. Uh, just inform us about that. Yeah, so my grandfather was a high school coach uh, for, for over 60 years uh, back in Hawaii, and then my father and my uncles followed in his footsteps. And so uh, Hawaii is a really passionate baseball, um, baseball community. I think maybe it was last year on opening day, and you can fact check me on this, but I think we're the only state in the U.S. that had uh, represented from every county uh, on, on an opening day <laughs> roster. Um, from Kirby Yates to Kurt Suzuki to Colton Wong. And so really, uh, really cool community, really strongly influenced by Japanese baseball. And we, as we know, Japanese baseball is really regimented, really fundamentally sound, really um, mass rep oriented. And so to have that collision of the Hawaiian baseball passion and the Japanese baseball organization as a child, um, especially in my own household at the dinner table, was a great foundation in terms of being a defensive instructor. Who were the guys, the, the players that you followed? Because like your time, your childhood kind of coincides with like, in, in my mind at least, like Benny Agbayani, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so Benny, uh, Shane Victorino, mm-hmm. Jerome Williams, uh, Kurt Suzuki at the beginning of his uh, his time. Those are kind of the the guys. Maybe a little bit of Mike Fetters at the end. But they were as as long as I've been alive. There's been a pretty solid uh, and well respected Hawaiian presence in the major leagues, and those guys were really great uh, representatives of our state and, and good heroes to grow up looking at. All right. So fast forward, when you were um, asked to kind of sell yourself to Gabe Kapler, it sounded like there was a pretty strong interest from him. Uh, in you. But what did you tell Gabe Kapler? And what was the discussion like that led to you getting this position? Yeah, and and I think it was more less of a sell and more of a long standing relationship and track record. Um, But it's all about, you know, he's looking for somebody a can build a foundation with the younger players, right? So create some foundational movements that will make them fundamentally sound. Uh, as they're they become full time everyday big leaguers, something that Ron Woldis did really well over over two decades. The second component is someone who could digest and split up the really minute details that it takes to make an established major leaguer slightly 1% better at something that he's already the top 1% of the world at doing. And then the third thing, looking for somebody who could collaborate and work with a bunch of other infield coaches. When you talk about Ron Wotis and Nick Ortiz and Mark Hallberg, um, all three men played infield professionally for a significant amount of time and have coached infield or scouted infield professionally. And so that's what the bulk of the conversations were about is, okay, can you lay this foundation for us? Can you sharpen the swords of that are already really sharp? And can mm-hmm. you do it with a group of other people? And so that was essentially the, the sell. So we saw, if you go on YouTube, you can see in these videos how you're working with the younger players. I'm curious how you're working with the veterans, and I want to give uh, like two things that I want to talk about there. One is you, 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 added, you came up with the phrase, something that adds length to your prime as a defender. What kind of things are you going to create or, or try to do for people like Brandon Belt or Evan Longoria or guys like that that are going to uh, add length to their primes? Because they're like right there on the edge of their primes right now. 
And so it's very, very tactical why they don't appear in those videos because their sessions look drastically different. And when you're producing content for the public, we wanted to make sure it was more of the, the multivitamin, something that everyone could take <laughs> and get better and not the prescription medication where it would help some and cause diarrhea for others. And, and when you're working with the, the elite of the elite infielders, it's far more prescription based. And so each of their workouts look drastically different. So let's take Evan Longoria, for example. Yep. Right. As he goes into this year, um, long established a, a gold glove winner. Um, and he can tell you, the film can tell you, and the metrics can tell you that um, as time has gone on, he is not as fast as he was in his prime, nor does he throw as well as he does in his prime. That's not unusual. That's part of aging in the major leagues. But what he still has is ex- exceptional hands and great instincts. So his routine is built around cultivating the right patterns to a certain side that will help him adapt for his current foot speed and arm strength, right? So it's all about recreating those final steps to those plays and those movements that will make him as efficient as possible with his present tool set. And so the great thing about working with a defender of that caliber is not only is he very, very quick to make adjustments, but he's also very, very aware of his own movements. He's not great on accident. He's familiar with what he does and what positions he likes to be in. And so it's about creating those reps um, to get into those positions so he can finish those plays. In addition to that, his routine is also about getting him familiar with the shift and putting him in new anchor points as we become more aggressive and, and, and move him across the diamond into that shallow right field spot that creates a bunch of new play opportunities that he needs to be exposed to, um, that he possesses the prerequisite skills to execute, but he hasn't had the volume of opportunities that he has at third base. And so that's an example of what his routine um, is centered around. Well, you've just kind of gave us a scoop here too, by saying like, we didn't know that he's going to be playing that shallow right slot, uh, slot area. That's not something that you typically would have seen. The, the theme of what I'm getting from what you're talking about, and you talked about building the foundation, it's almost like program building. You want to establish something that's completely, and Boach won multiple championships, so his program was pretty, pretty good. Now it's a new program comes in and establishes what, what it does. How hard is it to get into the heads of, of the people that you're dealing with that this is what you need to do? Well, so you bring up a really good point, right? So it is a program. It is system building. The really, really cool opportunity for myself and the rest of us who are new is you brought up Bochi and Bam Bam and their staff. We didn't pull the video game, you know, out of the console, blow on it and hit restart. We're building off what they already learned. So we didn't say, hey, you know, we're going to go med in black and you're going to forget. We have the great opportunity to build off the foundation that they built and they built well. And so that's the first component. Uh, the second component is if you're going to a, a established veteran with ideas that are proposals that are like menu based, where they can pick activities, where they're involved in the process, where it's about asking questions, it's incredibly well received. It's less about status, it's less about new, and it's more about comfort familiarity and, and, and investment and ownership in the process. And so that's kind of the route that I've chosen is it's always a proposal. It's always a suggestion. It's always a conversation. And then we go and do the do, you know, it's, it's that those opportunities to have those meetings before we even get out there for a session. So you're never surprised by something and you never feel like something's being forced upon you. And so that's the process we've chosen to use as a staff that's been exceptionally effective across the board. Two, uh, two more questions uh, for Kai Correa. I want to ask about data and uh, your interest in data and your use of it. I know that Gabe's very into it. I'm familiar with, uh, with him in that regard. How receptive are you to analytics? I guess this is a very general question that might get to something specific. Are there things that you particularly like? Or is there a 
whether it's defensive run saved or UZR or adds above average, is there something that you've got that you like uh, that you like to use to measure uh, the effectiveness of what you're doing, and then just things that you like to use to help you prepare? Yeah, I uh, the, the the short answer is I like none of them independently <laughs> of each other, but right. all of them together. I think they make something beautiful, and so. Before the release of the new version of uh, the defensive run saves that has the, you know the the position uh, baked in, so you know just the proximity from the interception point to the origin point, and out the release of outs above average, something that I've been working on is my own like collision of Statcast and Trackman data with um, film analysis, and so I think the best and most functional use for a player is a combination of those metrics, two metrics you described. Um, that have like a directional and positioning based component to them film right so you can fact check whether what they feel and think they're doing they're aware whether that happens in reality and then feel how how they feel you know in in the moment when we're out there working through a move have we built a comfort and a confidence around that and so I think really really quality defensive work incorporates all of those things and so in the process of building out that plan for Longoria which I didn't go into specifics in terms of vector and direction, there are <laughs> elements of the, the new outs above average and defensive run saves built into that that help legitimize um, the, the, the original reason why we're working on that. And thankfully for me, because he's so intuitive, they also align with both the video and his feel. All right, I do want to, I want to bring it back to youth baseball and the clinics and the things that you're, uh, that you're talking about. What do you tell kids... Uh, or what do you encourage coaches to tell kids who are trying to develop players who are fundamentally sound uh, on the defensive side? What are, what's like the biggest uh, point of repetition and emphasis for you? Yeah, I think the first thing is, is, is substance versus style. And a lot of things that we are attached to as players as we transition to coaching and youth coaching are things that are stylistic and not substantive, right? If I watch Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, Brandon Crawford and Nick Ahmed descend on the ground ball in the exact same location on the exact same spray angle, the exact same exit velocity, they're going to interact with that ball differently. And so leaving room for those differences is really important in finding the commonalities. And the commonalities have stood the test of time. Those are things my grandfather was teaching. Those are the things that Phil Rizzuto was probably doing. He's got good <laughs> positions. He's got his feet farther than shoulder width apart. He's got his shoulders out in front of his, his lower half. Um, his hands are relaxed and he has the opportunity to use them both or one and move them forward or backwards. And so I think um, acknowledging that simplicity and just promoting kids to get in a really, really good positions is one component of it. The second component is um, teaching variety, right? Creating that volume. When, when you talk to um, a lot of your guests that are elite infielders, they'll reference different drills or fun activities that they like to do. And what they were doing is in the midst of having fun, they're ramping up those volumes of those different types of reps and balls they interact with in the game. And so I think sometimes as youth coaches, we can be overly regimented and you do that same one over and over and you can't do it again. And then the game doesn't happen in that vacuum. It's five degrees further. It's five miles per hour harder. The kids just touch slower or touch faster. And so I think understanding really good positions and then helping the kids get into those positions in a variety of plays is the best way uh, to develop like a bulletproof young infielder who's fundamentally sound and also versatile. I felt like I saw elements of that in the videos that you did that you did that are on YouTube with the younger Giants players. All right, uh, just to wrap up, uh, tell us about, um, by the time people hear this, uh, you'll be on the the next clinic, which I believe is with a Hawaiian uh, high school coach uh, in on the Saturday that you're doing it. 
Uh, so tell us about that and tell us where people can find out more information about all of these things. Yeah, so actually our next one on, on Saturday is Travis Fryman, yep. but that'll be done by the time this is released. The, uh, the last session it will be with Dun Muramaru, so a, a longtime legendary high school baseball coach in Hawaii. He's coached for over 30 years, and he's got almost, uh, gosh, he's got at least maybe half a dozen state championships, which is exceptional. And he's had this crazy run of Division I or draft pick shortstops. That's ridiculous. Um, at one point, I, I was at a Division I tournament where three of the four teams had a shortstop that had played for him. Um, I think he's got the current shortstop at San Diego State, Pepperdine. And their predecessor was Isaiah Kiner-Falefa of the Texas Rangers. So he's done a really good job developing a bunch of different kids with a bunch of different skill sets to be able to play at the high level. And so we're really going to talk and dive into what are the things he does uh, to create such a high level of infielder in such a specific population. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. In terms of finding out more information, uh, you can find it on my Twitter if you just search Kai Correa, a lot of it will pop up and you can find out how to get on the call and, and observe. And then I've got a lot of old drill videos under the hashtag Friday Fielders that span over a five-year span. Um, I'm not producing content like that anymore because my priority is being able to work with our guys. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that are, that's still out there, whether it be at YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, Kai Correa, that's K-A-I-C-O-R-R-E-A for those searching on the internet. Uh, Again, this is uh, Coaches versus COVID. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. And this wraps up this episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Kai Correa and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. We'll see you down the road. Check out our newest baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, out March 1st. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. That's Fielding Bible Volume 5, available at actasports.com, that's A-C-T-A sports.com, or wherever you buy your books online. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.